0: definitely is um yeah it's evening here but um i would say good day because i'm I'm sure it's around two in the afternoon there but it's about 10 midnight 10 o'clock at night here but uh it's it's a real pleasure and honor to be able to to speak to you especially um on, on on our channel um many of us would have been um blessed by your work as a producer um with timex social club and then as you know, as an artist with um, Club Nouveau and um, so many yes. great other artists and producers that have come under your, your stewardship. But we've got an international audience and it's always great that we start from the very beginning as to where you were sort of born and raised.
1: Okay, so you want me to tell you?
0: Yeah, where you were born and raised so we could just know that.
1: <laughs> okay, so I'm born in Orville, California. Okay. That's in Northern California. It's a little bitty place. Uh, but I grew up in Sacramento okay. and Vallejo, California. Okay. So, and the, all Northern California, that's where I grew up. And then um, I'm, I moved to Anchorage, Alaska, um as a young teenager. Um 19- Anchorage till I was around 23 and then I came back to California and okay. um, that's when I did Rumors
0: Okay, so g- g- growing up in um, you know, in, in Northern California what, 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 what musically, how did you did you get your music bug as a kid?
1: Well, I played trumpet in um, oh. and, and, um, high school um, ninth grade and then high school um tenth grade. I saw the trumpet player. So you know, you're listening to um, all the funk bands of the 70s. And you know, um horns are the main you know, um walking in rhythm, function, earth wind and fire, cameo, you know, you name it all up. Uh, All the bands, Commodores, they have a horn section. So horns are very prominent in music when I'm growing up, especially as a young adolescent interested in music. But I've I've been involved in music my whole life because my parents were music lovers. So there was never a time in my life where I didn't know, hear, or understand the power of music.
0: Growing up, I mean, playing the trumpet—that's uh, unless you were influenced by Louis Armstrong. But did you? I would have thought most people would want a piano or, or bass or so. Why? Why the trumpet?
1: I wish I could tell you. I don't know. It, I, the trumpet called me. I blew it, and it felt good to me. And um, and I thought I would be a trumpet player. Wow. You know, and I played it for a couple of years, and then um, then I moved over to poetry and dancing and acting, and so I did the poetry thing and writing plays, you know, little short plays, and um, and and I was a dancer, popping, you know, pop, 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 pop. So I did that, and I thought that I I I never knew music to be what I would do for a living. So back then,
0: then what was your um, when you were playing the trumpet and you were dancing poetry and, and stuff, what were you, what, what did. You, was it you went to college thinking you were going to go work in a bank or what did you think you were going to do?
1: No, I, I you know, I probably thought I would be a dancer. You know, I was. it was the thing I was best at. Wow. Um, and so I thought, or, or an actor. I thought I would go to Long Beach State, major in acting and become an actor. Okay. Um, but I didn't, I, you know, I didn't go to Long Beach State. When I got out of school, just kind of laid around for a minute and um, probably headed in the wrong direction, went to the Air Force. Was in the Air Force for a year from the time I got in to the time that they told me to leave. (laughs) Um, And that's how I got to Anchorage, Alaska. And I stayed there for four years. And that's really where the music bug came back to me. And uh, because I was dancing there, I had a group called Close Encounters of the Funkiest Kind. In Alaska, we won a lot of different competitions. And then I started rapping.
0: Oh. Now, if we go back to the dancing, um, because Im- we could think about fame and Leroy, or we can think about break-in with Tobo and Ozone. Which type of dancing were you into? Break-in. break Okay, break-in, break-dance. Okay. okay. Yeah. And uh, so around that time then, who were who are the people that you inspired you to in 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 the, in the dance field?
1: Well, you know, we just local guys. It was just something that we did, and I just got really good at it really fast. I was dancing with some guys that were older than me. We danced in a talent show, and um, and I and I outshined them, and they couldn't and they fired me. Oh wow! And so then I created my own group, and then and we became really popular around the area I grew up in. And I tell people all the time, I was famous before I ever had a nickel. <laughs> so, so I could practice. So really when it happened, for, and I mean, I was really famous in my town, you know, in Vallejo. I was really very famous in the, the Bay Area for dancing. And, and it gives you practice on how to receive an audience, wow. how to receive a fan base, um, how to interview and interact mm-hmm. and, and not get caught up. And the idea of it. So, you know, I've never been high before. I've never drank, never smoked, never did drugs, you know, never gotten that lifestyle. But I think a lot of, the, of it has to do with the fact that I understood being famous, if you will, or popular early on. Wow. And, um, and I never let it, it never became such a big deal that I thought that, that it was special. Yeah. You know, it was just a job.
0: But then from, from your point of view, so you mentioned that it was something that you, you were good at, but you joined the Air Force. Was that more so like for career to get paid the bills and dance at the, at the
1: side? Well, to, to, because, I, because, you know, popping and dancing as a kid of a 16, 17-year-old, you know, 18-year-old maybe is cool. But once you start getting into adulthood, you, <laughs> got, you have to do what adults do, you know. And so I, and I had no direction. And so the Air Force was my option out of being in my neighborhood, because that's how you get in trouble. You stay caught up in your neighborhood with people um, that that you know, that know you. And at that time, you know, there was a lot of things happening. You know, the the crack cocaine epidemic hadn't quite hit yet, Mm -hmm. but it was on its way. And so, you know, I could have easily gotten caught up in the streets and yeah. went a whole nother way. So the Air Force was was a lifesaver for me because it got me out of the environment that I was used to that that you know a lot of my family members got caught up in. Yeah.
0: Now you mentioned going to Alaska and, and and I think most of us who I even though I went to college in in the States and, and lived in, in in Redondo Beach. However, when you think of Alaska, you just think of cold and snow and, and, and moose and stuff. You said when you moved there, the, the music bug sort of called, bit you again. How did that take place?
1: Well, ironically, um, Alaska and Anchorage, 5.2% of the population is African-American. Wow! So there's Man. a good 15,000 African-Americans wow. in Anchorage, Alaska, right? And... Um, and then you got people that come from all over the world, not just the United States, all over the world that migrate to Anchorage, Alaska because wow. of the pipeline, oh. you know, the oil pipeline, oh, yeah, because yeah. of gold, because, you know, the gold dig, um, um, mining and, you know, fishing. There's a lot of different industries yeah. industries there. So, um, so music, believe it or not, is sometimes making it to Alaska before it makes it to the lower 48. Wow. And so... You had the, Then you got two bases there. You have Fort Richardson which is an army base and then you have Elmendorf Air Force Base. So you have a lot of GIs that are African American coming that okay. from, from that direction. And then you have some Alaskans who were born there whose parents were there because of the pipeline and had been there for years. Yeah. So There were a lot of different influences in Alaska that that were really cool from a cultural standpoint. And they used to have that, you know, uh, Juneteenth celebrations and stuff like wow. that. Up there. So that's really cool. But a lot more progressive than people would think, yeah. but very slow. And so I didn't, I thought when I left Alaska and I ended up doing rumors, I believed that I would move back to Alaska and that's where I would live. That's how much I loved it. Wow. It wasn't until I went back. When club nouveau once we had the hit record and we came back and we played in alaska and it was very 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 slow that i realized you know i adapted to alaska but i can't live here yeah yeah I, you know it's like I, I didn't i didn't got in the wild i didn't got <laughs> back in the wild <laughs> Oh goodness!
0: But so, wait, 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 during the four years you were there, the music part—how did that come back? Though, did you? Were you playing your trumpet again? Did you start? Or you no, still no, I
1: was. No, I started dancing again. I created a I formed this dance group. We 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 opened up for all the bands and stuff that would come from the Lower Forty Eight. you know, the Pointer Sisters, uh, wow. Atlantic Rhythm Section. In uh, excess, whatever it was, they would call us to open up. We'd be the, you know, beginning talent. It was really oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then rap started happening, and so then I got into concert promotions. I brought Run DMC to Alaska when they had "It's Like That" yeah, and "That's yeah. the Way It Is," right? So I brought them there, and Leo Cohen, who ended up being the president and co-owner of. Death Death Jam Records at the time was their road manager. Oh goodness! That's how I met Leor, and so I started doing, and then I started rapping. So then I left Alaska to come down to the Lower 48 to get to start my rap career, and um, Frost was the name of our group. Get it, Alaska Frost. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Frost. Okay. Um,
1: So uh, it it didn't go well. Um, We put a record out and went wood. Uh, (laughs) Double. Went double. It went double wood. Would have been a hit if it would have been good. Yeah. So, um, so it went wood on us. Um, and um, and then, you know, we did it with an independent label. And I said, you know, maybe I should do my own independent label. Um, Daryl Thompson was a friend of mine from Alaska. His brother had this group. And um, this, these guys that were trying to form a group, and that's how we formed Timex Social Club. And I ended up producing Rumours, and that's how it all started.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I kind of jumped so quickly there. But had you stopped with your with your trumpet? Had you stopped um, playing? I had and... stopped
1: with my trumpet in high school. Okay. So I played trumpet from the 10th grade to the 12th grade. Okay. From 9th grade to the 12th grade. Then I okay. Played.
0: And then when you, you did the, the rapping... Did, did you guys have backing track, or did you just use this old sample or what?
1: Well, so I was, promote, I was promoting concerts in Alaska, and so I brought Confunction to Alaska. Ooh. Wow. And Michael Cooper uh, was the leader of Confunction. He and I struck up a friendship, and um, we came back to California and did a demo with him. Wow. And he produced it.
0: Now, in those early days, I mean, that's, you, you know, you're seeing Run DMC, Confunction and, and the groups. Did you try to learn? Did you spend time to learn? You know, we always talk here about Michael Jackson, learning how the st- record industry works in the studios and everything. Or were you just, you know, make, as the promoter, ha- having friendships, but just keeping it uh, the business side?
1: Well, you know, Back then, musicians were musicians, and business guys were business guys. So musicians didn't really talk business. They only made music. Wow. So I learned the music business when Confunction, because Confunction had a management team, that management team ended up being our management team. And then that management team took us to this independent label. And then when it didn't go well, I went back to that same management team and said, hey, I want to start a label. And then they cursed me out and told me I couldn't start a label oh. because that's not how it works. And, you know, and I hung up the phone with them and I was so mad, I called them back up and I cussed them out, cussed them out and told them if I could see them in person, I'd whoop their ass. And then I, um, and I said, you guys are fired. And I started a record label and that was J Records. And that's how I did, and that's how the first, Record I release for rumors. Okay, by the atomic social cloud.
0: No, no um, you you you've got to go further back because you you make it seem as if it's very straightforward, but it's very rev- revolutionary. Because the only person that I knew who did something like that was James Brown um, had his own record label and and stuff like that. You thought about starting a, a label. The management company says that that's impossible. It doesn't work like that. What were their reasons for? trying to discourage you, and what is it that you saw that I thought, you know, this, this should work?
1: Well, I think managers always want to control artists. Back then, at least. Maybe now it's a little different, but back in that day, the manager was the manager, the artist was the artist, the artist went out on stage, the artist wrote songs, the artist were creative, the managers were business. So for me to say, you know, I want to start a record label. That's not creative. That's a business. Get in your place, boy. That's how it felt to me. Yeah. Stay in your place. And um, I didn't grow up like that. Yeah. I, you know, um, my dad was a tough man. My dad wouldn't nobody be fucking around with. Excuse my language. Yeah. He was nobody to play with. And my dad, if you wanted to fight me, if my dad caught wind that you wanted to fight me, my dad would knock on your door and tell your daddy that your son want to fight my son. My my son is right here on this grass. Bring your son out here. And so I was small, light-skinned with a big natural, and I lived in the hood. I learned how to fight before I learned how to do anything else. My daddy would make me fight everybody, no matter how big. And so... There was no way, I was gonna let some white man tell me what I could and couldn't do. I didn't come from that kind of stock. My dad wasn't made like that. He didn't me like so, so telling me what I couldn't do was probably a bad idea. Yeah, oh. oh that's the way that took tootsie roll. Okay. It's.
0: It seems as if the uh, the pitch is. It seems as if your your stuff is frozen. Um, I'm good now.
1: I I, I thought you were frozen.
0: Okay, let me. I'm not sure what is happening. Okay, you're back now. Yeah, it's it's clear now. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, so you you had the idea of setting a label, but did you know what a label? You know what about? I didn't know
1: nothing. (laughs) I didn't know nothing. I just knew that i didn't like somebody controlling what i could do and when i could do it
0: yeah
1: and i wanted to do it myself and telling me i couldn't do it was going to make me do it even more wow and so i sold everything i owned to put out rumors
0: so the, the beginning of setting up a label because i think you know There's
1: no setup There's no, there was no setup i, may, I recorded a song yeah And I I made a label called J Records. I went to McCullough Records and Manufactured Records after I got them mastered at a mastering lab, after I recorded and mixed them. And that's how my record label started. There was no no formal anything. It was just all on a shoestring, all off the top of my head, And and just doing it, not knowing how to do it, not knowing if it was gonna work.
0: Yeah.
1: And sometimes, you know, if I did today, knowing what I know today, I wouldn't have done it like that. Oh. Knowing, knowing what I know today, um, I would have um, I would have been better planned. But that's why sometimes, knowing things, is is too much. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. You know, sometimes, you 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 know, it's that fearlessness that's going to get you through it. Mm. Too much can be detrimental. Because it would have been... Yeah, go ahead. Huh? No,
0: no, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Because I was going to ask you what you said on reflection. You would have done it differently, but... I would
1: have done it because if i knew what i know today i wouldn't have done it because i would have known all the things i need in place to make it happen weren't there and so sometimes knowing too much isn't good
0: yeah
1: and in this instance knowing too much wouldn't have been good for me yeah
0: the um but and it could have it could have yeah so but I would have you... never
1: put rumors out. Had I I would have never had the money to put rumors out. I never had enough money to put that record out, ever. Even when it was out, I never had enough money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, if I had gone by all the rules, everything that tells you what you need to do in order to be in business, I would have never been in business. Yeah. Wow. And, and so... So it was just I was just lucky and fortunate and blessed and favored for some reason because if I'm being honest I did everything wrong. Wow. Everything. Okay. <laughs> but that's how powerful music is. Mm. And that's how powerful um People are. Because the people made that record a hit. Yeah. The people defied the industry. Yeah. The the people made radio have to play that record, because they called and called and called radio. When they heard it, they fell in love with it. And the record just took a life of its own. And then I started getting a little bit of money here and there, and then I got enough money to really promote the record and went through the roof. But but. But it was because it had already done all this other stuff.
0: Yeah. Now, as I said, when he, the, when rumors came out, I was living in. Um, I, I went, went to high school in Nigeria, Federal um, Government mm-hmm. College, Janiki, and rumors was big in Nigeria in the 80s. Um, as a kid, we mm-hmm. know this was a massive track, and so so it's amazing how you're saying that. You know, if if you knew what you know now, you wouldn't have put it out and, and it might not have been this global hit. You know, I, I think sometimes being in right. America, you might not re- understand when a record is a global hit until somebody says, well, I was living in Nigeria and the record was big right. in Nigeria in the 80s. And this is before social media and MTV. It was it crossed the world. Um, if we go back to Timex Social Club, because... You can, we kind of jump to the point where you, you're putting out rumors, but how, you know, you, you, you put out a record with Frost. It didn't do well. What became the thing that you wanted to then do? What did you think about doing next?
1: Well, you know, I, once Frost, Frost wasn't on my label. Frost was on another independent label. Okay. And so, so when that we put that record out, and it didn't happen. I started J Records and that's when I put out rumors. That was but, the record that my managers told me I couldn't do. But then how did that's you- That's how, so, huh?
0: No, 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 just because you put out rumors, but you, 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 the groups, the guys in, in, in Timex, and so how did that all happen then? Because Frost, I thought Frost was yourself rapping. Were the same people in it Timex was. in Frost?
1: Well, Frost? Frost was me rapping on another label. Yeah. When that didn't happen,
0: yeah,
1: I formed my own label.
0: Okay, I, but what about the group Timex then? Because they're
1: the... <laughs> and, and so I formed a group around Timex Social Club because they need to make this record. They got this idea; they want to put it out, but they don't have the money. So I sell everything I own to make that record. Okay, okay, I put that okay. record out. Okay. And then, and that record becomes this big, massive hit. At at that time, okay, go ahead. All this stuff happens in a nine-month period. In in nine months, from the time I put out the Frost record to the time I put out the Time Exocer Club record, it's probably nine months. Wow. And that record becomes a hit. Yeah
0: because um when we look at say this 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 um this jock or, or, or wikipedia it says that you know you you're one of the the, the producers on, on the track so how did the song come about
1: itself the song was already an idea that they had it was a demo okay and it just wasn't it wasn't good it wasn't produced so i produced the track out into a record okay and I put it on my label, J Records. Now, just before
0: you, we, we talk about the label, the production side, did you, was it just the time that you, in, in the studio with, with Michael from Confunction, that you learned the art of production? Yes. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, you know, from writing, being a songwriter, because now, before I do that, I'm songwriting, I'm writing my own songs. So while you're in the studio, you're learning. But even when I produced rumors, I wasn't a real producer. I was (laughs) a guy who produced a record that was a hit. But I didn't learn production really, and really understand what production was for another ten years. Okay. Well, you really like now. I I, now I understand production soup to nuts and how to make a record and how to find the right musicians to play and you know and I mean you know arrangements and uh, you know and all the things that. That it takes to be a great producer
0: yeah but back then how did you they came to you with this idea and then they trusted you
1: no somebody brought them to me they didn't have the money they trusted me i took the record and they hated it when i was done <laughs> they said i messed their record up <laughs> wow. because they were used to listening to this raggedy demo and they wanted the record to sound like that, but that was a demo, it wasn't gonna sound like that. I made the record sound like a real record. I made it bigger, I gave it more definition. I, I, you know, um, I added you know, different parts that, 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 wasn't, that didn't exist that really turned it into a, a production in a record. Mm.
0: And, um, and so when you'd finished with it, did you think it was gonna be a hit or what were your thoughts after you'd finished even though they didn't like it,
1: um, I just knew I just knew it was going to be a hit. I just thought um, I just thought it was going to be a hit. I, I I just in my gut. And one day I prayed to God because I was so in love with me, the music business, and I just said, God, if this is if this is not what I'm supposed to do, please take this desire out of me. But if this is what I'm supposed to do, please make this song a hit. And he made it a hit. Wow.
0: Did you form J Records because no one else wanted to um, distribute it or it was more so you found it? it, it, What was the sort of real thinking behind it? Because if if
1: um... nobody liked the record, nobody liked the record. Everybody said that the record sounded like it was made in my garage and they And they laughed at the record and they made fun of the record and they said the drums were too loud all the things that they said were the reason why the people loved the record yeah and really we really changed the course of the music business at that time because music was kind of flailing a little and when we did rumors we married the old school and the new school together. We were the last of the old school and the first of the new school when it came to production because we married technology with the drum machines and the synthesizers still using some live instruments with guitar and such and, and stuff like that. And so we really changed the scope of how people saw production, her productions. And we really scaled down um, what a production could sound like without having to be this big orchestra thing mm. where it could just be drums and bass and keys. Yeah. And of course vocals.
0: Yeah. And so as, as cause you've invested everything by selling, you know, to, to get the late labor going and you're, you're, you're it was pushing how, uh, what were you, were you going to stations and how would you know, how would get, well, how do people, how would the, <laughs> the audience hearing the songs to call in to the local stations to, uh, to get well, it.
1: That's, now, that's funny because, you know, the United States is huge. Yeah. The United States is like a lot of little countries together. Yeah. You know, like California has 40 million people, right? Yeah. And then in California, you have Southern California and Northern California. Yeah. so they're, they're even, so even So if I go from one side of California to the other, it could take me, Twelve hours to drive from one side of California to the other side, right? Mm. That's how big it is. So, and, and and so you got radio stations in all these cities, yeah. And um, not not every city got a black radio station. So so, so only, only where you can, where you have black radio can you even you even have a chance of being played. Mm. And then you got to have somebody to walk into that station that's a promoter that's a record promoter so i didn't know those guys so when i first did rumors i went to the radio station in sacramento and said hey i got a record i'm from sacramento i'd like you guys to play it and they laughed at me (laughs) so that's how i learned about independent promotion guys you know the way i learned about distribution was i went to tower records and said my name is jay king i live here in sacramento this is my 12 inch i like to put it in the stores and they said well who's your distributor and then I said, I am. And they said, no, you gotta have a company that distributes and then they'll distribute to the one-stop and the one-stop will sell to us. And that's how I learned what one-stops were and how that worked. So I really learned it all by trial and error. Yeah, But I was a great student. And so that's how I learned the music business. And that's how I became strong enough to do it again and again. It's, you know, Tootsie Roll with the 69 boys, yeah. Domino's, Ghetto Jam, Rodney and Joe Cooley. You don't hear me though. Gary Taylor. You know, blind to it all. You know, I, I did a lot of records independently after that.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Mac, yeah. Mac Mall, Mac Dre, Ray Love, all those things I did independently, because once I learned it, I learned it.
0: Yeah. No, but you. you and I think you have to. You have to. Our audience appreciates the um, the stories that you, that you're sharing, and the 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 with with the rumors track going back to that. So you got a independent promoter to help go to the stations, or did you f- work alongside the independent promoters to go to the stations?
1: Well, initially, I found the smaller stations in small cities like Shreveport, Louisiana, um, uh, um, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, okay. Mobile, Alabama, places that, that you could go into the radio station and meet the program director, because okay. he's probably a... De- a a DJ on a station, and you give him a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, and boom! Now he's, you know, you got a friend. You know, you, you bought him some dinner, you bought him some drinks, you gave him some gas for his car. He liked you, you like him. Now he listens to your record, and said, "Man, this, you might have something here," and that's uh, how you started.
0: Yeah, so you don't go to the big New York and L.A. No,
1: and, or you and try. No, you go, to guys. The small guys dictate, react, or act. Mm.
0: So, so before Sacramento started to, and California started playing, it, it was bubbling in these sort of smaller states and cities.
1: Right. California was the, was the last state that I went to because California would not play. You know, California is a big, you know, if you're getting stationed in California, You're big time, Mm. so you got to you got to get the smaller states for the smaller cities, Mm. you know, in the southern states where there's more concentration of black folk.
0: Yeah, how long from the time you had rumors ready did it start to really hit the airwaves and really make a noise? How long did it take?
1: Six months. Wow. Six months, and, and and it went on Billboard chart and, di- and lost its bullets three times, which is unheard of. Once you make it onto the Billboard chart, and then you lose your bullet, your you record, process, this is, it, it doesn't get it back. I I lost mine and got it three times, on the way to going number one, and it went to number one on the RB charts chart for four weeks, I believe. Wow. And all the major with, with all the major labels shooting at me, trying to kill me. The major labels couldn't kill it. That's how strong the record was.
0: Yeah, as I said, it's a global hit. Um, But then, so this is the thing that a lot of us, you know, when artists talk about being blacklisted by the labels and stuff, the labels, what are they doing? Are they trying to push their own records? Are they trying to get the stations to block playing it on the playlist?
1: Well, what they're doing is this. They're, they're pricing you out the market. So let's say that a record let's say for one station, it costs, costs you about 800 dollars to, to get that record on that radio station. The record companies will run the price so high, maybe three times that, so instead of 800 dollars, it costs 2,400 dollars for that station. So you can't compete because you're just a small guy, right?. Mm. So what they do is they price you out the game. You know, and so when people say that they've been blacklisted, those are people that are going back to labels, begging them to let them, you know, let them record for them. Yeah. I never got blacklisted because I never went back to labels begging them to let me record for them. Yeah. You know, once I was done with you, I was done. The reason why I ended up at Warner Brothers is because they came to me.
0: Yeah.
1: And they gave me a lot of money.
0: But but I think that the, the story is more so the power of the labels that if they decide, as you said, to price you out to stop you from releasing your music, you know that's that's the, they have that sort of a monopoly. but because the record of the the audience are requesting the station have to play it was, was that the case with rumors?
1: Absolutely, because the people can keep calling and you got to play that record so. Here's the story. Terry Avery at KKDA in Dallas, Texas calls me one day and says, can I speak to Jay King? Because my, my number was on the back of the 12-inch, right? <laughs> so she calls me and says, can I speak to Jay King? I said, this is Jay King. She said, Mr. King, my name is Terry Avery. I'm the program director at KKDA 104 in Dallas. Um, we're playing your song, Rumors. And um, I just wanted you to know that we are going to be playing a record. I said, thank you so much. And she said, but sir, I would like to ask you to tell your friends to stop calling the radio station. I said, I don't understand what you mean. She said, your friends are calling the radio station and it's knocking our phone lines down. We're gonna play the record but they can't call when we play it. And I said, ma'am, I don't have any friends in Dallas. I'm in California. And she said, do you have a service? Working for you? I said, no, (laughs) ma'am. She said, you mean to tell me you don't have a service or anybody calling and bugging this radio and telling us to play this radio? I said, no, ma'am. This this song. She said, if you're telling me the truth, you need to get ready because you have a smash record. Every time we play your song, our phones Mm -hmm. ring so much that it'll knock our phone lines down. Wow. And that's when I knew that. Rumors with the big
0: record.
1: Because wow. KKDA is a big station.
0: Yeah, Dallas yeah. is a big, oh, yeah, big city. You're
1: know, in a big city.
0: Yeah. So while you were doing all this, what were the guys with Timex, what were they doing while you were running around trying to get this stuff? What, what, what Were they performing or what were they doing?
1: Complaining. <laughs>
0: I, I don't get... Where you know, they, they
1: didn't... They didn't believe in it because you got to remember we're in california there's deadly happening in california oh yeah yeah, yeah. i'm in other states saying man i'm in i'm in i'm in dallas this is what's happening i'm in and louisiana this is what's happening i'm in alabama this is what's happening and they're like yeah 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 <laughs> why why isn't it happening in california we live in california we can't see what's happening there we don't believe you you know with that thing
0: wow how long before but, they realized what was happening?
1: Well, about nine months, and then they felt it, and then they went and signed a deal with somebody else behind my back because we didn't have contracts. Wow. And that's why I wrote jealousy. But then,
0: who owned my club? Who owned the the Yes, yeah.
1: I did. I'm Jay Records. Okay. So they recut Rumors. They had to recut it with the new company. And so you got the original version, then you have this corny version of Rumors, which they made a video to, the corny version. Okay. So uh, my, my, my version is the popular version. Okay.
0: So, Okay. So they, um, oh, my goodness. So Because I, I, I think most of us didn't understand where, where the rivalry came from. So they just thought, oh, okay, this is a good chance for us to find make our, make our stuff. So the, the ones, so if we were to, were they legally allowed to re-record the track?
1: Yeah, 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 with their song. Okay. There was no contract. So if i you know we we're doing this on a handshake and friends
0: okay, so this is where you said that's
1: how that's how I learned the music business
0: <laughs> okay it, it, was there what was the, their reasoning for doing this and and cutting
1: you off they felt like that like i wasn't I wasn't versed enough in the music business and they went to a company and it was a small company. And I think because the guy gave him some money, I think he gave him $6,000 a piece. Oh, goodness. Even peanuts taste good
0: sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but they hadn't seen the work you were doing and the fact that the the record had made it
1: no, because of the independent, if the money don't just start coming. You have to, you know, that there's cost, there's all this, you know, it costs money. Yeah. So all I mean, the money traveling to I mean, going right back into the record, because I gotta make it a hit. Yeah. Artists don't necessarily understand the music business. They understand the art business. They know how to make art. Hmm. They don't know how to make business. Yeah. And so. That's why most artists end up broke. It ain't because they're not generating enough money. It's because if you make money and you spend it, guess how much money you have? You have it, however much money you have, minus what you spent, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't make money and you don't make your money grow, if you don't invest in different things and speculate, you know, if you don't um, make good bit sound business, decisions, you're gonna end up broke because all the money you make you spend and you gotta pay taxes and you got, you know, you know, you got a lifestyle you got to live up to. You know, people buy a $10 million house and they think, you know, that that's it. Well you buy a $10 million house, that means you probably have somewhere around 300 dollars to a half million dollars in upkeep in that house year in and year out. Mm-hmm. Between the between the ground, the, the pool, the, the weight staff, people you know it, you know, it, it comes with a price tag. Mm-hmm choices have invoices
0: yeah because i think when i heard you say that you had to you're traveling around the country in my head i'm thinking well, I, that must have cost money i mean you're you're, you're flying staying in a motel, you know having to pay people to to get things so, so that seems like there's a lot of cost involved in that
1: absolutely so you so all the money you make and you're just putting it right back out and eventually at first it's like you know, you're spending this much money, you're making this much money. And the idea is for that money to grow to where even if you're spending, you're do, you know, you're making more. Yeah. So you can do
0: it. Yeah. And um, so wh- when, when they did that, when they signed with this independent, where was the song, where was Rumors at that point in time on the charts?
1: Top Top 20? Top twenty.
0: So this was your your version um, that was being sold. My ver-
1: version. My version went to number one. My version at the international hit rumors. Yeah. They made a second version that you never that you might may or may not have heard.
0: Yeah. But then when they released that, what did they benefit
1: from? Real, well, because what they, well, because now they have a version of the record themselves so they can start licensing it later. Okay. They get, to, they get to marry that record to them. They control it. I control this one. They control that one. They have an album that they can put that one on. And that's what they do. They, um, uh, um, the, the Vicious Rumors album, they released that song on there and they released a song called Thinking About You. Yeah. And I release jealousy.
0: Is is that then when you just to form Club New, you went you form Club New Boat and and say so let's let's put put that out there.
1: And because jealousy sounds a lot like rumors on purpose, so I can't tell you why these things continue to happen to me. You know, I don't need uh, 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 jealousy. I don't want the bad talk around me. You know. I'm talking about them. You came off <laughs> spreading rumors because you were so jealous. You didn't understand that we were on your side. Tell me why not, fellas. You let some people guide you in the wrong direction. From the truth, you cannot hide, so don't go look for no protection. I didn't understand you then, and you know I just can't now. You know, I tried to help you not out, and now it's me you're trying to clown. But let me tell you, partner, you won't come out ahead. All this jealousy will do is make you lose it all instead. I don't need jealousy. I don't want the bad talk around me. It's about those guys.
0: Wow. I remember being in high school and hearing the jealousy as well and thinking, wow, there's a war going on. And it was so intriguing for us. I mean, because we, you know, as I said, we, didn't, we got the black beats and right tones, but when you're so far removed, we only get the records without yes. knowing the real story and things. The, um, how hard was it for you? Because, you know, you, I'm hearing all the work you did behind the scenes and then to have it happen. Personally, how did that affect you?
1: Well, I mean, you know, it made you work harder, you know, it made you matter, made you want to succeed. You know, you make, you want to prove yourself over and over again. So, yeah, But like I said, you know, I, I was always focused. I'm 59 years old. You know, I've never had a drink in my life. I've never smoked a joint a day in my life. I've never been high a day in my life. I knew exactly where to focus my energy. Yeah. And I focus my energy to being successful.
0: Yeah. The, um, the, the one thing about rumors, when they said, heard that one about Michael, was it, who were they referring to? Which Michael? Because we all thought it was. Jackson. R- Are you kidding? We all thought it was. Okay.
1: <laughs> Did you hear that one about Michael? Some say he must be gay. I tried to argue, but they said if he was straight, he wouldn't move that way.
0: Yeah. yeah, Okay. We all thought, but we didn't. We just thought, no, maybe not. Okay. What about the one about Tina then? Is that Tina Turner or is that just?
1: Yes, yes, Tina Turner.
0: Oh, so these were actually these was they were naming celebrities. Because
1: the rumors, you know, Susan Anton, and a camel saw she's six feet tall, so that could be Susan Anton or Susan from Vanity Six. <laughs> these are just rumors. Then how do okay. the rumors get started? So, started by people that're jealous about people that are famous. Oh, wow. <laughs> so,
0: you, Club Nouveau. Then, how did you, how did you, how did you then take the energy of being of being betrayed and, and, and stuff, and how did you just find the crew to say, let's start Club Nouveau, or, or were you thinking about doing it by yourself?
1: Or, no, what, what, Me and Denzel Foster and Thomas McElroy were already working together. We were already writing together. I brought Denny in on Timex Social Club on Rumors. And then after that, we brought in Tommy to make the album that we were gonna make with him. Valerie was already with Timex Social Club through Alex Hill, but she grew up with me. So we reconnected there. And she's like my little sister. Samuel was brought in by Denny. So once we knew, that we weren't going to do Timex Social Club's album, but we had recorded music. We were going to use that music, and instead of finding another group, we were going to be that group so we could control it better.
0: Okay. Okay. And the... Um, the, the about who, who sings and stuff, how did that decision... Who made those decisions about who's going to sing the, the well,
1: lead? We, we brought in Samuel and Valerie to sing. We weren't the singers. I only ended up singing because on Why You Treat Me So Bad, Samuel couldn't sing it with the texture that I wanted. And so I ended up singing it because I did the demo. So Samuel's voice was too rich and big to go, Oh, girl, I loved you, but you turned and you walked away. Yeah. And I really wasn't a singer, but that's how it needed to be sang. And that's how I ended up singing. Wow. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, that's... that's. Um... You know, the Loonies really made uh, post-post some royalties for that one with the uh, with therefore I've got five on it. That's that's yep. a big
1: one. We love them for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a massive hit. Even when we did a poll just uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's it topped all the tracks from from that from that era because I think they connected with the Loonies. They remember the track back 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 then. So. And, it, and, and people might not know Danny and... and, and um, um,
1: Denny and Tommy.
0: And, and, yeah, from, you know, who, who with, um, and, and Vogue and stuff. So you, you, they were under your stewardship back in, in those early days?
1: Yes. Uh, Danny and, um, and, and Tommy, um, Kyrie from Young Black Brother Records with Mac Maul, Ray Love, Young Lay, Mac Dre. Um Brian Morgan, who yes. did SWV, yeah. all those guys came. Yeah, they were all right there with each, around each other.
0: So, so you moved to Sacramento, and because the music scene, was there a music scene prior to...
1: There was no music scene in Sacramento. I'm from Sacramento. Yeah. So, so, it- when, I left, so when I left Alaska, I just came back home.
0: And you started the music scene because we all know about Tony, Tony, Tony and, and, and everything from, from that area. But is it after you started? I didn't
1: start. No, no, we always have had a rich... I didn't start the music scene, but I think I made the independent music scene something real and viable.
0: Okay. Okay. Which... With, um, when you were doing, when you started with, with with Club Novo and 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 the 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 records became, was especially Lean On Me, um, you know, another global hit. And and you know, so as I said, I went to college in the states, but a lot of of this. But in the eighties, I was in high school in boarding school in Nigeria, so a lot of those tracks crossed into cross the continent, and were big hits back there. Did it did success seem – because, I mean, you know, getting nominated and winning Grammys, I mean, did you just think, wow, we are actually doing better than we expected? Or what was your thinking in, in, during those
1: times? I, I got to be honest with you. I wasn't thinking anything. I was working. You know, when you're in the middle of the work. So I didn't so – if there's anything I wish I could do over again, I wish I could have been an artist with just the, the luxuries of an artist. But I was, not I was the business who happened to be an artist. Mm. And so it was a lot of work. Wow. So when it happened, you know, you just, you know, you did the work and you moved on. And, you, and sometimes you almost think, okay, that, that happened, it'll happen again. But this is a very fleeting business. You know, everything changes overnight, all the time. And you yeah. got to be ready.
0: Did you get to enjoy it in those early days?
1: No. I enjoy it more now.
0: No. In in those days, were the other members of the group able to enjoy it more than you?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: How did that affect the group dynamics then, if they're seeing you just busy working and then just they can see the enjoying the limelight and, and they can enjoy the success?
1: You know, for me and Denny and Tommy, I think it had the most adverse effect because here we are partners and we do, and we all play an important part to the production. Yeah. But everything is centered around me. Um, I think because I'm the better speaker of the three of us and, um, and because I probably say the most poignant things, So we could all be three in a room and somebody interviewing us, And then you read the interview and you think it was just me in the room because they didn't really say a lot and when they did it wasn't bite-sized it wasn't something that they could that a journalist could sink into yeah you know and so and if val was there then they would quote val and me but they wouldn't the other guys were almost like they weren't there and i think that started that that started eating at everybody
0: yeah and so Tommy and Danny decided they wanted to
1: move away? Yeah, they, wanted, they didn't want to tour. They didn't want to work anymore. They just wanted to make records. So for so so me, to this day, it's me, Valerie, and Samuel. We continue to tour together today. Yeah.
0: but When they decided to, um, to split and just say, we want to focus on being making records, um, did you then think um, did, you know, when we're talking about the business side and, 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 and I think looking back the people who write and produce and, and, and have the publishing tend to do better in the longer run in, within the industry did you then think, okay, you know how did you balance being a, a producer, business person and an artist at the same time?
1: Yes. I'm, I'm sorry, ask the question again?
0: So I think in today's, I mean, knowing what we know now, the songwriters, producers tend to be the ones who do the best financially in the long run in the music industry because of publishing and, 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 and things like that. And so when Denny and Tom decided, yeah, we're going to go do our own thing, we just want to focus on being producers and writers, um, you then had a decision to continue being running a label, being a producer, but also being an artist did you feel as if one suffered more than the other compared to what Danny and Tommy would ended up doing?
1: No, nothing suffered. The only thing that, you know, it's just focus. Um, I was a young man and, um, and, and, and I did a lot of different things with a lot of different people and, um, I just wasn't focused on you know on just production. I was focused on so different things brought me different monies at different times. I did vanilla ice.
0: Oh goodness.
1: <laughs> you know, so I made a lot of money. I had four songs on the vanilla ice album that sold 20 million copies. You know, I mean I was I was in a lot of different things. And um and I just wasn't focused. And I was angry, you know, I was mad at the industry and I, and I equated everything to a fight. I wanted to fight everything and you can't, sometimes you just got to be cool, enjoy the ride, appreciate what you get to do for a living. I, you know, I thank God that I get to do music as my living, that I got to, that entertainment is how I make my living, that I get to do what I love to make a living. I don't think a lot of people can say that. I, I wake up in the morning excited about what the day's going to bring. I still make music. You know, I got a solo record I, I got that's about to come out. Yeah. Called Soulful Bossa Nova. That, that's really a, a mixture of jazz and samba and bossa nova and R&B and little pop all mixed in one. And I am great record. You know, I, I'm excited to see what it's going to do. I'm 59, but I still feel 19.
0: Wow.
1: I'm still excited about recording, about creating.
0: The um, because cause we want to get to your solo album, and because I've seen the artwork, and I actually it reminded me of um, something from Brazil, um, so that type of. But so it'd be interesting to hear more about that. I, I guess during the '80s, I mean, the music industry changed, the sound changed and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, and I and I know that after you, you know, the even with club number, you know, record labels. You know, when things aren't charting, it's quick to drop. How did you maneuver? Um, did you then say, okay, you guys, that's fine, no more Club Nouveau. Let me focus on, you said vanilla no, ice. I may-
1: and- no, I created Club Nouveau. Said, listen, if I did everything based on charts, that, I, I never cared about charting a record. I cared about making music. Mm-hmm. So you can go listen to the Club Nouveau albums and you're going to say, man, there's some good music here. Yeah. You Listen to the 1988 "Listen to the Message" album, the 1989 uh, um, "Under a New Groove" album, the 1992 "New Beginning" album, the 1995 "Everything Is Black" album, the 1998 collection series, um, the 2015 um, "Consciousness" album. There's, you know, there's some great. We've made some great music. I don't care about a chart. So I make music. Mm-hmm. And if you dig it enough to make it special to you, cool. If you don't, I don't care. I'm going to mm-hmm. still make music. But, but the music business goes through iterations every two to three years. And so, and it's a young man's game. You know, and, and, and hip-hop, really, and, and things associated with that in a, in a certain conversation that takes place musically that I'm not willing to have. You're gonna listen to my music and you're gonna say, man, there's some heavy conversations happening here. Listen to what Club Nouveau is saying. I'm not I'm not making WOP or uh or WAP and whatever some of these other songs are. I'm making real music. Yeah. So no I never let the music the music business dictate to me. How, what, when, or why. Yeah. I do what I do because I want to. Yeah. I invest in the stock market and cryptocurrencies and such so that I can do what I want to do in music.
0: Yeah. And, and, I, and I think, you know, because you started as being independent way before most people could imagine. Now we're in an area where people are saying, man, why do we need a label anymore? We can release it digitally, everyone can receive it until
1: it- Yeah, but people say I'm going to tell you why people need labels because they're lazy because they're not going to do the work they're not going to market, advertise, uh, promote, distribute, they're not going to do the records right they're not going to do music right and they're not going to spend the money most people don't want to, you know People want other people to spend the money on their stuff, but they don't want to spend the money on it. Yeah, You got to be willing to invest in yourself. And, you know, everybody, um, you know, when I hear people say how record companies rip people off, no, they don't. Record companies are business machines that promote things to make a profit. And if you, and, and if you were a record company, the, what you're asking the record company to do, you wouldn't do it if you did you wouldn't stay in business long. Mm. So I'm not I'm not taking up for record company. I'm just saying if you're gonna if you want to be a businessman then you got to understand the the, the mechanics of business and how to stay in business. Yeah 95% of African American small businesses or 95% of all businesses in the United States for black folk are small are, are Small businesses and sole proprietors, that mean they only have one employee, 95%. Something wrong with the way we think. Mm. Our business structure from, structure from a mechanical standpoint is off. But we don't have that conversation with each other. But we should.
0: I, I think, you know, we, um, we released um, a, a compilation of different interviews I had where artists from the 90s were talking about how they... You know they didn't have successful dealings with their with their record label, and some of the f- audience were saying, you know, why aren't aren't there many black-owned record labels to, to you know that are you know like Motown? And I said, well, Motown got bought by Universal, BET got bought by Viacom, and when there's a black-owned business that's successful, it gets cons- taken away, taken over, and you know that's. And, it's and not I, taking
1: over. It's not taking over. A business is started so you can make money. It's plain and simple. It's capitalism. Yeah. At its best. And so, you know, um, if I if I build a company that becomes so. Successful that somebody want to offer me 20 or 30 times or 50 times, what I got into it. Cha-ching! <laughs> come on. We're weirdos sometimes when it comes to business. It's almost like we think if you make money, you're the devil. I, I
0: think it's it's I think
1: more... if you don't use your talent,
0: yeah, you're the devil. No, no, and I think what happens for us because we, we, you know, it's 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 really been it's amazing listening to you because you you you're very balanced in your point of views from, you know, running starting a label from in the 80s, which as I said, it's very it was very rare, you know, we 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 laud Master P for doing stuff in the 90s, but you know, you started it off so you know years or decades earlier, um, but then for us we we see music and art. As, um, as a part of heritage. And it's, it's, hard, if, it's hard for us to see, understand there is business, there are costs, the the employees, you know, record labels, or um, uh,
1: have to, to... We see it as heritage when it's not ours. That's the only time you see it as heritage, I promise you. When um, Barry Gordy is looking at it, he's looking at the bottom line. Cause heritage ain't gonna pay him nothing, <laughs> and black folk gonna always say what you should have done, but but black folk can't prove to me that they that they understand investment. We make up less than one percent of individual investors on the stock market in Cal- in the United States. We're number one when it comes to consumption per capita, we're last when it comes to investment and speculation per capita. So. I don't concern myself with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I concern myself with making great music yeah. and being a, a good businessman.
0: Yeah. And, uh, how different is the, do you feel the quality, or not just the quality, but the, what you put into your music is when you, you're, you're not doing it to make money, because it, it does, does it make a difference in, in how, you know, when there's no stress and you're not thinking I need to make this a hit because it gets to number one and I get a big income? Does it change the, what you, how you, the effort and energy you put in?
1: I don't know what it does for anybody else because I don't understand. I, I mean, I don't know the process of making music for other folks. For me, I've never made a record and said, I'm going to make a bunch of money. I made records and say, "I really think this is going to be a good record. I think people are going to like this, or I wonder if people are going to like this, or I hope people like this." But I've never made a record saying I need to make a million dollars. Yeah. So if we could talk about your
0: your your new the new album that that you've come up with now, could you mention it's an infusion of of. of, of, of jazz and saying, Are you going back to your, your roots in the trumpets or what inspired you to, to, to bring this one out?
1: I love music. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, like I'm not the young man I used to be. I'm a, I'm a grown-up. You know, I listen to different styles of music. I just, I listen to music every day. I go to sleep to music. I wake up to music. Mm. Nova is my favorite music. Joao Gilberto, Jovan, Carlos Jobim. I love the early Frank Sinatra, the 60s, stuff that she, the mid-60s that Sinatra made with Jobim. I love um some of the stuff that um some of the Boston Nova stuff that Marvin Gaye did, and some of the stuff that Nat King Cole did, some of the stuff that Cannibal Adderley did. There's some great um soft, beautiful music. And um, and it it inspired me. And you know, and I just I just thought it would be great and an interesting take on um taking different elements from different music and trying to create something new that I call cool R&B or Soulful nova. Wow. And um, how,
0: how, I would say the reception, because when you're performing it to in, uh, to, to the audience, how has it been?
1: People love it. You know, um, and, and so I did a place called... Yoshi's, that's famous in, the, in in California, and um, it sold it out. Small venue, but we sold it out. But people, it's the first time people heard the music and they loved it, like they had like they had been hearing it all the time. Wow. So, I I you know, and when I played it on radio, people loved the record, you know. So I think you know, it's going. I, I'll know in a little while because I'm gonna release the video and the music and stuff, and yeah, we'll see what. But I, I believe it's going to be. I believe it's going to be received well.
0: Are you touring with um, a band or how do you, how how do you guys tour now?
1: With with a band.
0: Wow. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, we're we're seeing a lot of um, 80s and 90s artists hitting the tour this summer after a year and a half of being locked down. How, how much is Club Nouveau doing touring this, this time around?
1: Well, we're working, you know, we, but, you know, but some, like, we were with, we had three dates, and then two of them got canceled because of COVID, you know, we had three dates in a row, and then two of them got canceled because of COVID, and then now we're going back out again, and we're getting ready to make those dates up, we're going to be in South Africa wow, at the end of October, so, you know, we're we're going to be in LA on the 11th, we're going to be in Sacramento on the 4th of September, so we, so, you know, the 4th and the the 11th of September, we're out, so we're working.
0: Yeah. How is it for you being on the road and being in the audience? I mean, after all these years, do you, where do you get the most buzz? Making the music? Performing it live?
1: All of it. You know, you got to, you know, I love, you know, we look at when we go live, when we do our live performances, we look at it like being on vacation. You know, getting, you know, you get to get treated like a king for <laughs> a few days, you know, <laughs> so we love it. The people are kind to us and, we're, and we do a good show for the people
0: yeah well i mean at um when i mean with your album um so for boston is it can we get it is it out now on digital platforms
1: you can go to um jking.me, jayking.me jaykin g.me to hear it and order it um you can also um the single without out all your love all night long is on it's on all digital platforms right now the album will be out sometime in september
0: Okay, tough
1: time in September.
0: One of the things that we, um, we always ask our guests um, at the end of, of every interview is that if you were stuck um, in an elevator and they said it'll take a couple of hours and they said you can watch a movie till we get you out, what movie would you request to watch?
1: The Godfather. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's One of your favorite movies.
1: Of all times. Yeah,
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, Marlon Brando, uh, a young Al Pacino. It yeah, it's a uh, such a le- legendary movie. Um yeah. they're about to put the movie a lot of on. different
1: plots, a lot of different plots in there, a lot of things that you miss. You have to yeah. watch those those movies over and over again in order to really understand.
0: You're true. You're right, and and they don't make movies like that where it, it you know. The, the, the dynamics between loyalty, family, father, son, you know, it's it, you know, yeah. Even at the end when he, he shuts her out, you know, when he accepts to join in and and, and yeah, there's just so much in it. Um, they're about to put the movie, but they said it will take a few sec a few minutes. Let's play a song for you. What what song do you request?
1: If, say that again?
0: So just before they put on the movie, they say, "Look, it'll take us a, about a minute or two to get the movie on, so we can play a song for you." What song do you request?
1: "Walk On By." Um, by um. Um, Isaac Hayes.
0: Okay, I don't think I asked. That. In my head, I was singing "Walk On By." So that, that's okay. That's a,
1: you never heard. You never heard Isaac Hayes' version of "Walk On By."
0: <laughs> Come not, on. Not, not Isaac. No, I'm thinking about the, the sort of the slam thing Isaac Hayes singing the slower version of it. Wow.
1: Okay. Now hold on. I'm gonna show you. I'm, <laughs> a, I'm gonna show you a little, little piece of it right here. If you haven't heard this, you haven't heard Walk On By.
0: For nearly 50 years, uh-huh. National University has been helping people like you earn your college degree, one 30-day class.
1: You ever heard this before?
0: No, I've heard this. No, I, I, I was thinking about it. Biggie Smalls. Um, yeah, N- yeah. No, I've heard it. I, no, but I thought it was the. If you back, I was It is. About it that. is that song. It it's
1: is a remake of that song. That's oh. right. It was his version. Oh, it was his version.
0: I was thinking, wow, that's I could have heard that instrumental and stuff, but um, they, and, and, and stuff, but why wow, goodness? Yeah, I mean, I think the I, I, I saw recently his son come talking about how his since his the music industry probably made over a billion dollars from his dad's music, and um, you know the whole sense of ownership and you know Prince talking about the same thing about we've made all this music, music, and we don't own. Our creativity and stuff, but it's amazing how you learn early Right, on. but
1: you but you don't give it away. Don't 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 you don't say that when you sign the contract and get that money. Yeah. Don't give it away.
0: But did you know about because you started very early? I mean, because as I said, most artists I've, I've spoken, I interviewed maybe almost sixty artists and. They, were, they didn't know anything about contracts. They didn't understand. They were writing. They didn't realize they signed all the well, stuff away. if they didn't
1: understand. That's why you have a lawyer. That's why you have a lawyer. That's why you have an accountant. That's why you have a manager. You're going to pick people that are going to be on your side. It ain't yeah. a good enough excuse for me.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, the lawyers were, were picked by the labels, and the manager was part of the, yes, sign, sign away this, and and they didn't. You know and they learn later on that it's given away
1: don't go to a lawyer at the label pick. say say thank you but no thank you i'll find my own
0: yeah yeah but you know when they pick
1: We're not babies. We're not, see i don't you gotta you, you gotta give me a better argument than that it's not it's not good enough yeah what i know is this what i know is that artists are selfish And when they want the deal, they'll do anything for it. And when they're not successful, everybody always talks about the successful artists. There's over a quarter of a million albums released every year. Over a quarter of a million. Less than 1% of them sell 2,500 units. Okay? Over a quarter of a million albums a year, less than 1% of them sell sell 2,500 units or more. Wow. So, you know, let's not, you know, so if we're going to quantify it, let's quantify by a real number. I'm not keeping up with record companies because record companies, they got their own little slouchy ways that I could talk about. But from a business standpoint, you can't talk about somebody wanting to own something that they paid for, that they marketed that they promoted, that they advertised, that they spent money on on your behalf, and now they're giving you a piece of that money. And the only, the only skin you had in the game was recording the music. Now, on the backside of that, if I make a brilliant record and you don't do a good job of it, at a certain point in time, that record should come back to me. If, I, if, if the record does great at a certain point in time, that record should come back to me. Yeah. we got to be fair on both sides, but you gotta make, you got to say that in your deal. Hmm. But you can't say, you know, I'm a bad record company, good artists. The artists are the victims. No, sometimes the artists are horrible and egoc- egocentric, egotistical, maniacal, selfish,
0: Yeah. It re- it's good to have both sides to it, because as I said, most of the every interview you've had is from the artist side. So to hear a balanced view of, of it, it's always good, because I guess if you're so desperate for the deal, you'd give away the house just to get the deal. And then it's afterwards you realize yes. what I've done with it. And, um, um,
1: and, but then uh, you say, let's say that you didn't get the deal and the record never came out. And all it does is sit, your, sit on your shelf. People never heard it. Just your immediate friends who tell you how good the record is, but nobody ever hears it. You never make money. You end up working at McDonald's or you end up being a shoe salesman or you end up driving a truck. What you would say is, I wish I would have had somebody that would put this record out. I would have took anything for it. Mm. Yeah. The Eagles are mud. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's been really f- in, um, fascinating speaking with you, especially, you know, hearing your, um, you know, and I think it's very inspiring, that sense of, you know, Nike would say, just do it and learn on the job, you know, because as I said, if if you don't take risks, most people who don't, aren't successful, don't take the risk. And the fact that you took the risk because, you know, you, you sold everything to the former label and if it didn't go well, you know, the consequences would have been on you, um, but you still went through it. I, people still ask me, the guys from, you know, it's been 20, 40, 30 years. The guys from Timex, do you guys, do you guys uh, bury a hatchet? Do you guys see each other? I mean, in Sacramento, a small town?
1: Well, first of all, they weren't in Sacramento. They were in Oakland. Okay. I've seen them from time to time, but we never really talked. I never had a hatchet, so I had, didn't have anything to bury. You know, they made a they made a business decision they had every right to make and they had every right to make it because I didn't have a contract with them. Okay. They did what was best for them and I did what was best for me. I think I ended up on the better end of the deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean Copenhagen Vogue became a bigger group and 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 more successful as well. Uh what about Danny and Tommy? You know, when they successfully in Vogue and stuff, do you still
1: Yeah. Yeah, me and Tommy are more in touch than me and Denny, but we, all, but we all are in touch. But me and Tommy are more in touch.
0: Okay, okay. And Were they're pr- doing
1: great. Both of them are doing great.
0: Were you proud of when they did the Vogue stuff and, and Tony, Tony?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm proud of all the work they do. They're, man, they're some talented dudes. Those guys are bad. They can't, can't take it away. You know, you can't take nothing away from them. I, absolutely, I'm proud of what they did.
0: Yeah. And, and I know Brian talks about, um, you know, how, you know, you get him out of Sacramento, uh, sorry, out of Kansas, out of, out of Wichita when he said, come, we can get you a deal and stuff at like Warner Brothers and stuff. Um, and, yeah, but, you know, he talks, you know, learning under your stewardship um, back in those, those early days and stuff. Um, were you surprised how his sort of producing and writing side took off?
1: No. Um, I'm surprised that it took Brian so long to trust himself, to believe in himself, to know exactly who he is. And even today, I think Brian, if there's, if, if there's a fault that Brian has or a flaw in Brian Morgan, it is that he doesn't understand how great he is. And so he's afraid of his own greatness. So he doesn't allow it to, to do what it's supposed to do. Brian could be an absolute great when it comes to production, but he's afraid of it.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that's that's something that's um, yeah. It's it's you know there's the the those kids who are really good in what they do, but they don't have the sort of killer instincts to uh, to to, yeah. to take the risk. Okay, I can I can imagine that as well. You know, it's been, um, it's been fascinating, it's been an honour, it's been a privilege, um, as I said, you know, to, to, to think about the fact that you made records that crossed globally. Um, you know, the fact that you're in South Africa, I'm sure people would have said that we, we were hitting, listening to these songs back in the 80s as well. Um, just finally, when you, when, with all the rumours and even um, Lean On Me and stuff, did you realize it was going internationally? It was breaking, it was in, in the first continents in Africa, around Europe. Did, did, could you, did, were you made aware of that, or did you just think, yeah, we're big in oh, America? Oh, no, we
1: knew. No, we knew because you could see the charts. You know, you're getting the international charts, you're getting okay. gold and platinum records. You know, you're getting gold records and silver records and platinum records. So you know that it's happening in other parts of the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, as I said, it's it, it's um, yeah, that rumors. You know, I because mean, we're all big Michael Jackson fans, and we're like, is, that, is it to want Michael Jackson? And then, as I said, jealousy comes out, and we um, you know why you treat me so bad. Did, did you know the Loonies that track was going to be also a global hit? Um, I've got five on it.
1: Yeah, I didn't know it would be a global hit. I knew it would be a hit in the United States, but not not. and, and you don't know it's going to be a hit even in the United States. You just hope. <laughs> I thought it, had, you know, I hope that it would. It was a good song.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's as I said, I mean, most people who hear it at Generation would always go back to Loonies. But then when they hear yours, they'd be like, wow, that's that's amazing. Well, it's, as I said, Jay, um, yeah, it's been really been great. It's been fascinating. Um, it's been a real history lesson. And um, do you, do you, apart from Club Lubo, do you have other artists on your your label?
1: No, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing a label anymore. Just me. I, I really make records for Club Nouveau and for myself. I'm the president of the California Black Chamber, which takes up a lot of my time. Wow. Um, you know, and um, and I'm also, I sit on small business council for um, agencies like Caltrans, the High Speed Rail, and the DGS wow. you know, for the state of California. And I do radio. You know, um, I'm on KDEE Um which is an urban station, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays from si- 3 to 6 p.m. Wow. I'm on um, KSDK, which is a uh, white conservative radio station on Sundays from 4 to 5 p.m. And then I do Kings in the Morning on my podcast Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So I stay pretty busy.
0: Wow. My goodness. Yeah. I guess the it's those are a lot more... Um, I I would say, a lot more um, predictable or or stable sort of environments compared to the industry than being being a record label executive and then having to deal with artists and...
1: Listen, uh, if any environment that you're in is unstable, it's because you have created instability in your environment. So the music business is stable for me, as is the chamber business, as is radio. And when it becomes unstable, it's because of some movement, whether it's um, by force, someone else making some type of movement on it, or me moving. And I think once you, you know, being comfortable means you're So I work to be uncomfortable, because it means that I'm growing, that I'm probably doing something new. I think uncomfortable is okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's been really inspiring, as I said. It's, there's a lot that I'm learning from this, you know, and um, and um, I'm taking from, from this. I mean, I, you know, my day job is, is, uh, is a, being a mental health psychotherapist uh, working with uh, under-19s. But this in itself was a, an avenue of just having, just doing something different. And, um, and, and, it, and it's, as I said, morphed but it's been inspiring to hear. That's
1: wonderful. I say I say, do everything. Do it all. <laughs> Don't, you know, the meat suit only lasts so long. If you live to be 80 years old, you only live in 29,200 days. By the time you take away eight hours a day for sleeping and eight hours a day for working, you have 9,730 days for living. And that's if you live to be 80. And in the midst of those 9,730 some odd days, you gotta ask yourself, how many of those days was I young and vibrant? How many of those days was I old and decrepit? How many of those days did I waste on nothing or being mad or being angry? And how many of those days did I live? And when you start assessing that, if you don't wake up the next day and say, I'm gonna be alive today and from this day forward, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna be alive, I'm gonna do everything I wanna do, I'm gonna take every chance I want to take. I'm gonna dream every dream I want to dream, and then I'm gonna figure out a way to get it done. Doesn't mean I have to be on a massive scale. It just means that you got to complete it, because this life ride don't last that long. So you got to be alive while you're alive. So that's, that's what I work for. I work to be alive every day.
0: It's, it's been a pleasure it's been an honor it's been it's been uh, inspiring as well um, yeah I, it's been and, and especially that last sort of bit of encouragement that's that's why we do this because I, I you know people you know most of us who just live not just live everyday lives want to be inspired want to hear the stories and say well how did Jay make it and you you know knowing how you had a dad who made sure that you didn't back down meant that you had that sort of within you to take those chances, take those risks. And, um, And it's something that we can learn either individually or as parents and stuff as to how, you know, maybe in a different way as your dad, but in the same way, just teaching that sense of nothing's impossible. It's just that you just probably need to learn a different way around it to achieve your goals but yeah. um yeah it, it's been i really appreciate your time and 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 things it's been really it's been a blessing um to say the least um I wasn't expecting the, 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 that that part and and I think that's you know it's hearing the balance between the um the labels and the artists, hearing the balance of perspective around black owned business and the fact that if somebody sees a value that is far more than what you put into it, it isn't selling out. It's pretty much taking advantage of the business, um, but also go build another one.
1: Yeah, yeah, take that money, go build something new. Shit.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, we'll never also stop. Enc- never, yeah. never stop.
0: And there's also encouraging us, us um, within the black community to partner up and build and start beans, you know, you know, because they, it's. Um, you know, here in the UK, the um, those from India are very good at partnering up and building and taking their, you know, within the community and building something that's on a, on a larger scale um, compared to, say, those from the African community and the Caribbean community where we're all doing our things on a small scale. And we, we grow only, only a small part because, you know, either we have to borrow money from the bank and they want equity in it. And so we, 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 I don't know if it's a sense of trust. Um, like, as I said, the Asian community, the, um, the Jewish community, even here in the UK, they, they, they seem to work more collectively and establishing and supporting and have much more. Well, I got
1: to be honest with you. I only work with people that think like I think. So, so I don't get into that small mind thinking. Um, I have a financial literacy group. We started with 20 people. We're now in 1,000. We invested in Reviver, a digital license plates company. The minimum investment was $25,000. Most people in our group couldn't raise $25,000, so we created LLCs and let people put $2,500 in. Well, for $2,500, the shares were selling at $0.43 cents a share pre-IPO. So they were able to buy 5,800 shares for 2,500 bucks. And so when this company goes public, it's going to go public at somewhere between $8 and $12 a share. We raised over a half a million dollars amongst uh, over 100 of us so that we could all invest. So I don't know. I don't know the small minds that, that won't come together. I don't, even con- I don't even concern myself with them. I only concern myself with the big minds that say, yeah, let's do this. And maybe the small minds will get watered by the inspiration of the big minds and grow to them and join in. But we have to stop talking about what we won't do and how many of us don't come together and only concern ourselves with what we will do and those of us who will come together. And the ones that don't, don't worry about them. Don't make them a conversation. The conversation has to be the ones that came together and that are a building block. That's how you win, yeah. in my opinion.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, we, now with that, I I, I can say I can keep talking for you for a long time and uh, <laughs> and stuff. But um, it's been great. It's been inspiring, and I know that it will inspire many people when they get to to, to get to hear this. Probably most likely um, in in about two weeks in September when everyone gets back. We're still in summer here in the UK. So the whole idea is that as everyone goes back into school and work in September, I'll start putting out the, 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 this interviews and stuff. But I appreciate appreciate it. And but then also once you're out, your your video and 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 the albums out, I'll be sure to then use that and and co promote this as well because it'd be it'd be interesting. A lot of us have been saying we miss R and B. We're not getting the R and B from the 80s and 90s. We don't like the mumbo rap that's out there now and stuff, and we're blaming the labels and, and not realizing that, well, music is still being created, it's just not marketed.
1: That's right, you gotta go. you gotta go discover it, go find them. Don't talk about what labels are doing, go discover it. There's a, there's a big old world. I, I discovered some new music the other day, a guy named John Studdart. He made an album in 2010 that's just beautiful. I had to go buy it. There's a brother by the name of Odell Ross, the Guitar Boss is the album. Brilliant. Anthony King, um, In Time. Brilliant. Uh, Sam Bostic, Green Light. Brilliant. There's a lot of brilliant music out here. We just got to decide that you want to, you know, that you want to excavate some great talent and great music and, and, you know, and then share.
0: And I guess because in the, say, 80s and the 70s, 80s, 90s, those types of song uh, artists that you've named were, we were seeing them on MBT, we were hearing them on our radio that stations.
1: An, I know, but you guys, you guys keep talking about the 1900s like they're right now. This ain't the 1900s. <laughs> we're not the 1900s anymore. So you guys got to let the 1900s go. We're in the 2000s. As a matter of fact, we're 21 years into the 2000s. So we, see, we keep talking about the 1900s like, Oh, what the 1900s used to be. Well, that was then. Now you don't have to wait for anything. You can find anything you want. You can go Google and find new music, discover new artists everywhere. I do it. Oh, we, got, we got to get out of yesterday and, 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 and marry ourselves to tomorrow.
0: Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It, it, and it's, it's, it's a lot of us within the r and community that tend to... Uh, if we're not fed it by the labels and, and the radio stations, then we feel as if, well, we're disenfranchised. So let's stick to the old stuff that we used to listen to and, and not explore. Are you,
1: familiar, are you familiar with Soul Tracks? No. The website Soul Tracks? No. Go to SoulTracks.com. Okay. S-O-U-L-T-R-A-C-K-S. SoulTracks.com. Um they feature my album for August, but but they have a lot of a lot of um, great music on there. Check them out.
0: Is it, okay. Let me. So it's as um. So, so tracks
1: soul with a, with a S, tracks
0: with an
1: Soultracks SoulTracks.com. com.
0: Soultracks, yeah. Soul track, Soul Music, Biographies, okay. Okay. And it's black and red on top, okay. Oh, I've seen your album here. Yeah. I've seen your, uh, Soulful, uh, Bustanova,
1: yeah. Boston over. okay.
0: Now I've seen, I've, and I'll be sure to put that link up so people are, are aware of it as well. Thanks for watching. Please remember to subscribe to the channel, but most importantly, to press the notification bell. that you can be notified when we do have a new interview loads to come but thanks a lot for watching